Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Friends, good morning. So we're missing the seventh graders this morning, right? Is that true? So, in all the responses for the rest of Mass, you have to be extra loud to make up for them. Sound good? Amen? Amen. That was pretty good. Amen? Amen. Okay, so, here's where I want to start for today. That The first reading that we have today came from the book of... Which book? Exodus. Exodus. Good job. The book of Exodus. All throughout Lent, the church invites us to reflect on Exodus, to reflect on the story of the Exodus... It's a really important story because what Jesus is going to be doing in the week uh, that we call Holy Week is he's doing the new exodus. He's the new liberator leading us from a new slavery into a new freedom. So the exodus is a very important story for us to reflect on. So let's just recap that story. So the Israelites, the Hebrew people, they go down to Egypt and they settle there, and they begin to become more populous. For about 430 years, they're growing. They're growing. And then there's a new pharaoh who comes to power, a new king, who sees how numerous they're getting, and he thinks, this is not good, and I'm going to enslave them. Because, man, if there's like a, an enemy who comes, the Hebrews could join them, and then they could join forces against us. So the Egyptian pharaoh enslaves God's people in Egypt, and they're enslaved for centuries, for centuries, the worst kind of living you can imagine, right? They're forced to do unbelievable labor. They're starving. They're suffering like you cannot believe. So God intervenes. He sends to his people who? Moses. He sends them Moses to be the great deliverer, to send them out. So Moses has this great showdown with Pharaoh. He says, let my people go. Pharaoh doesn't want to let it happen. So God works these mighty signs, these powerful wonders in the midst of the land of Egypt. These are called the ten plagues, right? So these mighty signs, these unbelievable things that are happening to convince Pharaoh to let his people go. Finally, after the tenth plague, Pharaoh relents. He says, get out of my land. He drives them out of Egypt, right? They come to the shore of the Red Sea. At this point, Pharaoh has changed his mind. He thought, what have I done? I've let go all of our slaves. So Pharaoh and the entire Egyptian army, they come tra like trampling after the, uh, the Hebrew people. All th thousands of them are now standing at the shore of the Red Sea, water in front of them, an army behind them, and they're thinking, what are we going to do? Like, this is hopeless, right? God makes a way by cutting through the Red Sea. They cross through the Red Sea. Like, Im imagine that. Imagine that, what that would be like you got a wall of water to your right, a wall of water to your left. God is making this path for you. He's fighting for you. He's, he's, he's your hero, and he brings you from slavery into freedom. And they finally come to the base of this mountain called Sinai, where God is going to give his people the commandments, the covenant, the law, the way that he's going to stay in relationship with them. So you think of this. Picture this. you got this mountain. Thousands of people at the base of the mountain. Moses goes up the mountain to receive from God the law. And there's this mighty cloud and thunder and lightning, all this stuff above the mountain. Moses goes through the cloud up to the top of the mountain. And the people are like, okay, we'll be waiting down here. Just, we're, we're waiting for you. He goes up the mountain. He's gone a day. 
He's gone two days, three days, four days. And the people become impatient. After ten days, they just think, oh, he's gone, I guess he's dead, we, we're going to move on from him. And they decide, we're going to make for ourselves a new God. That God, we're forgetting about him. We're making a new God. So, they take all of their gold jewelry, they throw it into a fire, they melt it down, and, and they mold this, this cow. Because in the ancient world, the bull, like the cow, was this symbol of power. It was an image of, of strength. So they wanted a God of power that they could see right in front of them, a God that was within their grasp, a God that they could kind of control and carry from place to place. They didn't want a God that was hidden on the top of a mountain. Now, okay, I know. This is, this is how we tend to think about this story, right? So the Israelites, they just experienced the incredible power of God. They've experienced God saving them. And then they couldn't wait, like, ten days for God to act. They abandoned him, made a new God, started worshiping this statue of an of a animal that eats grass. And we, we look at that story, and we look at them, and we think, like, like, how dumb could you be? Like, the Israelites are like, are you serious? Like, you trade the God who can split the Red Sea for, like, a cow? Moo. Right? Like, what? What are you doing? What are you thinking? Okay. I know that's the temptation. That's the temptation I feel, to judge the Israelites for being really dumb and falling into this idol worship. But here's the thing. We don't read the scriptures so that we can like pat ourselves on the back and be like, we are so much better than those Israelites. I would never worship a cow. We read the scriptures so that we can find ourselves in the story and see what's, what's going on in the story that connects to my life. So in this story of the Israelites worshiping the cow, guess who, represent, guess who they represent? The Israelites. Who do they represent in the story? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Nice and high. Both hands. Now go like this and say, that's me. <laughs> that's you. Yeah, that's me. They represent us. They represent us. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're like, I have never worshipped a golden cow. And I hope that's true. If you have, go to confession. But we all have in our lives what we call idols. Say idols. We all, are, we all fall into the temptation of idolatry. Say idolatry. I want to talk about this. Idols and idolatry. I want to talk about what this is because we might not be worshiping a calf, a golden calf, but we have our own idol. So what's an idol? An idol is anything or any person or anything that we, that we put as highest priority in our life. Anything we make the most important in our life. Anything that we turn to to say like, I have to have you. If I don't have you, my life has no meaning. I have no value. An idol is anything we focus on with the highest attention and say, like, you are the highest worth. It's the things that we put above God. It's the things that we, we worship. We make our lives about these things. The word worship comes from the old English word worthship. Say worthship. Worthship. It's what we place our highest worth in. Whatever we find has the highest worth, that's what we worship. 
When you think about it that way, it's very clear that there's a lot of different idols that we worship in our lives. Maybe some of us, maybe some of us in here, maybe we worship like we worship the idols of video games. That playing video games is the most important thing in my life. Maybe we worship the idol of of technology, right? Maybe it's our maybe if you have a phone, you're just absolutely obsessed with your phone, being with your phone, looking at your phone, connecting with people on your phone, social media, da 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 da, scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Maybe the idol that we worship is actually ourselves, like focusing on ourselves so much. How do I look? Do I look pretty? Do I look handsome? Like, do people like me? Do people think I'm funny? Do people think I'm I tell funny stories? Am I popular? Maybe the idol that we worship is like I don't know, like the sports that we really enjoy, the hobbies that we have. Like how often people miss Sunday Mass because they've got a sports game somewhere or a tournament somewhere, saying, no, 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 that soccer game is worth more to me than Jesus. These video games are worth more to me than Jesus. Like those are idols. Those are idols. Like, all of us have them. All of us have something in our life that we turn to, that we focus on, that we say, I have to have this in my life. If I don't have this in my life, my life is meaningless. Here's the problem with idols. They will always disappoint you. Repeat after me. Idols will always let me down. Every idol you have Everything that you focus on that's not God, it will eventually disappoint you. Because here's the thing. We were made by God to worship God. God was meant to be the thing that is like the center of our life. Think about like a car, right? An automobile. What kind of fuel is a car meant to consume? It's not a trick question. Chase. Gasoline, right? You go to the gas station because your car's on empty. Your parents put the gas thing in the, in the tank and you fill up your car with gas. Because a car, an engine, is made to be fueled by, run on gasoline. That's the one thing it's designed on. Now imagine someone who says, hey, I really like coffee. And maybe my car likes coffee too. And I'm going to put a bunch of coffee in the gas tank of my car. How's that going to work out for the car? Not good. It's not going to work out pretty good, right? Because car is designed to run on one thing, namely gas. What are you designed to run on? Say it if you know it. God. God. God's love. God alone, right? Now, of course, in our lives, we have so many other wonderful things and wonderful interests and wonderful people that are part of our lives. But if we make them the main thing, if we make them the primary thing, if we make video games or our phones or our image of ourself, if we make that the primary thing, it's not going to work out too good. Like putting coffee in your gas tank, it's not going to work out too good. You're not meant to run on that, right? Idols will always disappoint. One more time. Idols will always disappoint me. They will always let me down. They will always disappoint me. So these Israelites that we're listening to in the scriptures today, they could not wait on God. And so they made this thing that they could see, this idol that they could worship. So friends, here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. I want you to start thinking about what are the idols you have in your life? 
Maybe make a list of like three things. What are the two or three things that you have in your world, that you have in your life, that, that when push comes to shove, you put this above God? And then I want us to ask for the grace. God, give me the grace to worship you first. It's not as though God says, I want to rip these things out of your life. He's saying, I just want to be first because if I'm not first, it's not going to work out. Amen?